Hello, and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truths for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridicule or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Here we are for another interview for the Sovereign Collective Podcast. And I am going to be covering, or we are going to be covering, a topic that I've been wanting to do for a few, couple years, a couple years uh, on this podcast, which I have not been able to do. So my guest today is Tanya Verkwin and her cat in the background. And we're going to be covering the topic, or she is going to be covering the topic of German new medicine, something that I think everybody needs to know about. And the more that I go down the path of truth and healing and freedom and choices and taking responsibility, we really need to know that we've got it all right here. The body knows, the body's wise, and our modern practices has led us far, far, far away from that. So Tanya's here to help us today to understand truly how much control we have. And and through that insight, we can remove some of the fears that we have around our symptoms and our so-called diseases and things like that, and really start looking into deeper layers of our life for true, true lasting healing. She is the the podcast host of her own podcast called Pixelated Perspectives that I've been listening to that has been really, really great. And Tanya's also, Tanya, I was looking you up today. Uh, you're also an amazing watercolor artist. Holy cow, check her out. Well, we'll get you the links on that later in the, in the show notes and Tanya can talk about that at the end. But holy cow, Tanya is an accomplished and amazing artist and she has some really, really beautiful work out there and she teaches it apparently too. So we're going to get into things, all things GNM about how Tanya got into it and some really basics up first. And then we're going to get into some more of my dying, the questions I've been dying to ask personally to somebody who's an expert in this area and then some other things, but we cannot do it justice in one episode. So Tanya has already agreed to come back for more because I think there's a lot of places that we can go to with this content because we have a lot of things. People have a lot of things these days. And uh, I, it's just my mission these days to, to just help you know how much control that you actually have over the course of your life and your health. So Tanya, thank you so much for joining me today. And before we got to talk to you, sorry, one more thing. I'm going to say some things that I never do because I never plug my own stuff. So people, a couple things. If you are enjoying this podcast, number one, please go leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to this podcast because that really helps me. And eventually one day I'd like to dedicate a lot more time to putting this content out because I love it. I get amazing feedback from everyone. So I know a lot of people are seriously enjoying this podcast. So please just do me a favor if you wouldn't mind and leave me a review. Second of all, if you go to my podcast website, which is sovereigncollective.org, and you go to the store page, a store or shop, something like that, 
I have some really amazing products there that are available to you at a discount, like Nadine Artemis's products, like some EMF, the EMF rocks products. Uh, there's some homeopathic classes that are really well priced. There's some medicinal mushrooms and tonic herbs. And all of that through my affiliates helps just a little bit to support this. And I'd really love to see that grow. So you benefit, I benefit, and it's win-win. So please check that out as well. And now, sorry, back to Tanya and her cat. And yes, Oliver. <laughs> Oliver. <laughs> and we are going to get into Germany medicine. So Tanya, thank you so much for carving the time out for spending to spend with me today. And let's get to it. Thank you. Thank you, Sasha. It's exciting to be here. I'm I'm happy to be on your podcast. I, I love it. I've been listening to uh, several episodes over the last couple of weeks and it's fantastic. You bring on such amazing guests and I'm all about freedom too. live in sovereign and and German new medicine, uh, Germanic healing knowledge. It's all about health freedom. If you know right. this, you really can't uh, live without health freedom. Right. And that's the thing. And, and so two of my highest values are health and freedom. And if you don't own your health, you will not be free. Somebody else is going to own that. Right. So that's what I love about the German new medicine. It's just, it's in me, it's in mm -hmm. me to heal, but a lot of people don't want to go there. A lot of people, you know, they're attached to their symptoms or attached to their story. So that's the challenge for a lot of people, but for those who care and those who want to know, there we go. So yes. how did German New Medicine come into your life? Where, where did that all start for you? Um, I learned German New Medicine or was introduced to it back in 2011 um, by Carolina Marklin. She was, uh, she's from Austria. And that was when she was still coming over to Canada and to the major cities and teaching this body of knowledge of Dr. Hammers. And so that's where I was introduced. My brother, who you've met, um, they recently at that time had opened up their health food store. And so they had contacts and Carolina was one of them. And they were telling me about this class that was going to be in Calgary. And of, of course, I'm like, yeah, let's let's go. I've, I've always been into like learning and just wanting. It was all about freedom. My value too. one of the top ones is freedom as well. So. I was 100% in, didn't know what the heck I was going to learn, really. It just, I knew it was something to do with these laws that we are living under. And uh, so from that, that week on, it was a four day long seminar. And my life changed after that, Sasha, in a way that, not in a way that I had um, really serious health complications, but it, it made everything that I had suffered up until that point make sense. I was able to connect the dots. So I, I grew up as a kid that always had stomach issues, not debilitating or anything, but they were there. They were annoying. I had mono for, um, you know, that was a, a few months of really uh, intense sickness. And then um, I always struggled with muscle skeletal issues, so stiff neck. And, and so while I couldn't really pinpoint why these certain things after that week, um, it was very clear to me what was going on and, and that it's, it was not just my, my body dis, uh, dysfunction or malfunctioning in any way. And the really a neat thing about learning it when I did is that I, my, my family was very young. So at the, that time, our children were just three and five. And then our step, my stepdaughter was 10. And so getting to, to kind of bring them up with this new paradigm and it's a new language because no longer are we using the term sickness and illness and disease it was it was just a complete shift 
my husband, um, it was a lot harder to get him on board, you know, it was, and and still after a decade, it's, there's still things where, you know, we want to revert back into old paradigms, but really it's allowed my family and I to live with a health freedom. And that has been game changing because when certain events like 2020 come along, you're, you're not pulled into that that fear, right? You're not pulled into the propaganda and, and that messaging. And it's, it's truly life, life-changing. Right, and that idea of contagion, right? Like just driving a few blocks today, just woman walking by herself on the street with a mask on, right? That is fear. That is mm-hmm. fear right there when you're, it's, so the idea of this contagion, this is a big thing that this will also bust right? This is what everyone's like, oh, they caught this, they caught this, the idea of catching something, Mm -hmm. catching something is, is so prevalent in our society. And I just, and now I hear it more than ever, even before, I don't know, I'd still maybe say that, but I can't even say that anymore, right? It's just not even something like, like you said, it's a new language. Mm -hmm. Hear that. And you know how incorrect that is and how that makes you such a victim. I, I caught it. I had it, it just, it, it didn't have a choice. It makes, it puts you in that victim state when really this is all about empowering and understanding the strength yes. of the body. Yeah. So let's talk about the story about how Germany medicine came to be. What, where did it all come from? Cause it's relatively new speaking. Like, yeah. Um, back in 1979, it all started in 1978. Dr. Hammer is a German uh, traditionally tra- trained medical doctor and um, his son was, I'm going to say accidentally, but I think um, there's more to it than that. But he was shot and killed. And um, he was on vacation, so on a boat, and he was shot and later passed away from his injuries in Dr. Hammer's arms. And uh, so I think it was like three months later, he, Dr. Hammer, developed testicular cancer. And, you know, being a healthy man, never with serious problems before that, he immediately knew. He was like, there's, there's no way this is a coincidence. Like, he, he knew that there was some relation to what he just had gone through, this profound loss and his development of testicular cancer. Now, at that time in his life, Dr. Hammer was actually head internist of a cancer clinic in Munich. And so he was working with cancer patients himself. And so he decided to ask his patients. He basically interviewed them one at a time. And we're talking hundreds of patients. And he wanted to find out, like like him, did had they suffered some sort of traumatic event, some sort of unexpected event prior to their diagnosis. And Sasha, without without exception, every single one of them shared, shared their personal take on what they had subjectively perceived. And yes, everybody without exception had had in fact suffered something. And so he was that was profound in itself, but that wasn't enough. That didn't explain to him well, why, why was it testicular cancer for him? And why was the, this gentleman lung cancer or this woman ovarian cancer? And so at the time too, there was a brand new technology. This diagnostic technology was the CT scan, the computer tomography. And so he decided to get brain scans of all of his patients, including himself, because no one up until that time had actually worked with the brain, knowing that, okay, if the brain is the control center for our organs and our bodily functions, well, why hasn't anybody yet examined 
is there a correlation from the psyche, someone's subconscious mind and how they perceive, so their emotional content with the diseased organ. And so this was the next step that no one had done. And so Dr. Hammer had did. And again, is remarkable results that everyone who shared the same type of cancer, there was actual a measurable lesion in the brain that showed up on the CT scan that he later called the hammer focus. And it was always in the exact same area in every single person who shared the same type of cancer. Now, this was, it all started with just cancer research, but later through the years, Dr. Hammer, this accompanied um, and really was established these laws that um, include every known disease in medicine, including psychosis. So these discoveries, is, they stemmed from Dr. Hammer's profound loss, um, this very tragic incident. But this is what Dr. Hammer was able then to provide for humanity was this these laws which basically allow us health freedom on on every level and a hundred percent of the time that's what's amazing right hundred percent yeah hundred percent like nothing is a hundred percent out there that we nothing so that yeah. that in itself is quite remarkable so you mentioned the laws so there's mm -hmm. five biological laws there's, yeah what are those biological laws okay so in a nutshell we, we can go through these in a nutshell they are pretty complex they can but I will will go through them really you know on the surface level generically and you'll get an idea of how profound these laws are and get understanding that these laws are are like the law of gravity like they are they apply to everyone they don't apply just sometimes or just to some people or some animals they are applicable no matter what across the line this is why they are laws and it wasn't something that Dr. Hammer created. These were just discovered, just like the law of electricity was discovered, right? It's it, They've always been there. They've always been working in nature as nature, but it took someone to discover these. So the first biological law is what Dr. Hammer really called the iron rule of cancer, which explained the cause. So it is the linchpin of any cause and in, it basically says that any so-called disease, what uh, conventional medicine terms as a disease or malfunction, is really a special biological program of nature created at the time of an unexpected conflict shock. And it's all to assist the person or animal to cope with that conflict or to survive the conflict. So nature has taken care of it, it's, it's, um, it's built and our systems are endowed with these laws to help us in unexpected crises, in, in moments of trauma, in, in moments of threat, when we are literally at threat or figuratively in threat. Our subconscious mind doesn't know the difference. So um, for a lot of us humans and, and ailments that we have, it's, it's always a figurative threat that we have perceived, but, and not literal like it is in, in nature. So the first law is that um, it, a disease is initiated from an unexpected conflict shock. And Dr. Hammer called that a DHS, a, named after his son, Dirk Hammer. So a Dirk Hammer syndrome. So this means it's a, something that catches you off guard that you couldn't have been prepared for, you couldn't have foreseen coming. So Dr. Hammer couldn't have been prepared for a gunshot to his son. And it's isolative felt, right? This is happening to you. It's, it's not anybody else, this is you. And it's dramatic, it's highly acute traumatic. 
So these are the three criteria that, that constitute a DHS or a conflict shock. And once this, once someone has this, so for Dr. Hammer, for his example, his, his son, it was a profound loss. Um, what happens is at there's three levels. The individual really is made up of the psyche, uh, the brain, and the organs. And that cannot be separated. It's one synchronized unit. Um, and this is the only um, really body of work that really sees it in that way and that really studies it and views um, an individual from that way is, are the laws of nature. But in that moment of a DHS, of a conflict shock, the brain, the psyche, and the organ is all affected at the same time. Now, by affected, I mean it's all impacted. So at the level of the organ, of the brain, you're going to have that instant ring formation that if you were to get a CT scan right after the event, you would see that measurable hammer focus in the brain. The psyche is impacted by you are now obsessively thinking about the conflict and, and you can't stop thinking about it and you can't sleep and you're not eating. So this is the level of the psyche um, and the level of the organ. This is when our body switches into a prolonged state of uh, sympathetic atonia. So it's like a fight or flight phase, right? And so now our, our blood pressure is <clears throat> increasing, our blood vessels dilate. We are, we're just given all the energy to get through that scenario, to survive that conflict, to, to resolve it. So that's what happens. Cellular adaptations happen on the organ level at that point. And so whatever is required to better assist the organs to help you cope through a, a conflict, that's what will happen. So in Dr. Hammer's case for the testicular cancer, it was those germ, the germ cells within his testicles that actually started to proliferate. So create more of so that he would have a better chance of, of having another child, of get, getting his wife pregnant. So nature has already basically set you up for, it's already trying to resolve the conflict for you. So he lost his son. Okay, what happens in nature if, if there's an offspring lost? You are going to be able to have another one right away by the cellular changes that happen within the testicles. And so this is, it's already endowed within us. We, we don't have to think about it. Nature has it under control. And so this is going to enhance the function of his, his reproductive abilities. Now, this is the biological resolution to losing an offspring. But for us humans, we don't live biologically, do we? We're, we're very far from living a biological life. So in nature, it's no problem. They can reproduce, you know, the animals in nature can reproduce. That would have been the conflict resolution and your body goes back into a normal state. But, you know, Dr. Hammer wasn't at the age where he wanted to have another child, nor was his wife. And so his resolution didn't come in that way, although the body was very prepared to resolve that for him. So you can just see how nature, you're, you're already endowed with this wisdom, these biological responses happen at the moment that your psyche perceives an event. And um, we don't know how our psyche perceives it until we have symptoms. And that's the cool thing is, is you know, we can't predict how, how would we perceive a conflict. Um, in that moment, you're not thinking, oh my God, this is a conflict and okay, because you know, I lost my son, it's definitely going to be a lost conflict. It could be a separation conflict. It could be um, 
feeling stuck that he had he hadn't the ability to to move and help him at the time he could have perceived it any way but it's a very subconscious split second perception of and everybody's unique and in, in their the ways that they perceive so any questions with that first law i know it's a lot but I'm, I'm like seriously my notes are crazy I don't know if you can see this because I had my original question I'm, I'm adding and adding and adding more questions there's so many different things to add about <laughs> but okay so people go through a lot of shocking events does that mean that every single time that is causing a lesion on the brain and there's something going on that they're not perceiving because knowing this information if you know that you need to resolve it I even mm -hmm. though you prepare for the event that could be very helpful but people that don't like do the does it so I know 100% of time these things were found when somebody was diseased let's say quote unquote but mm -hmm. does that mean that every time there's a conflict there will be an occurring lesion and there will be an occurring psyche you know well of course their psyche is going to perceive it in some way mm -hmm. and there will be a biological adaptation because for some it, it, that sounds like it could be crippling for some people people live crazy lives Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a really good question. And there is a distinction there. The a DHS, in order to start a biological program, so instead of seeing this as a disease now, it were, we call it, Dr. Hammer calls them a biological program. So in order for that to be initiated and for cellular changes to happen, three criteria have to be met. So it has to be unexpected. It has to catch you off. So catch you off guard. It has to be isolated felt and highly acute dramatic. So if one of those are not met, then no, you do not start a biological program. And that's kind of nature's way to also protect you as well, because can you imagine if it was any little shocking thing that right. would start a biological, it would be crippling. You're right. So instead, no, you're, it has to be these three criteria in order to, to begin a special biological program. So, okay. So sometimes I like people, cause I'm in the health world too, and I'm talking to a lot of people and they'll have some serious situations. And so I'll just say, did something happen at some point in time that you didn't expect? You know, I always ask these questions, but a lot of times the answer is no, that they can't really think of anything. So what is the time like? Like for him, it was months. Could it be something that happened in childhood that manifests as an adult or like what generally is the appearance of knowing mm -hmm. that they know that something has occurred well on the symptom level usually the symptoms like dr hammer didn't know he he was growing a tumor within the testicles at that time because there virtually is no symptoms it's not until the healing phase that most of our symptoms come for for most of the programs there are programs where you will get symptoms in while well, you're conflict active but um Yes, it's instantly, as soon as someone has a, a experience with a DHS, there's gonna be cellular adaptations right away. The thing that gives it away is knowing, is being so aware of your body, is knowing when you're in a fight or flight uh, in your nervous system. So are you sleeping at night? Do you have an appetite? What are you obsessively thinking about? What have you compulsively talking about that you cannot get over? If you can, if you can witness yourself in the sympathetic state in this fight or flight, then you can very well determine, okay, there, there's a chance that I could be conflict active right now. And usually people know this isn't, we're not talking about just day in and day out stress, you know, day-to-day -day stress at work. We're talking highly acute, 
levels of, you know, not eating. People know if they're not sleeping, there's disrupted sleep patterns and they're not really eating. Maybe they're losing weight. This is a good indication that, you know, you're conflict active. And so let's figure out what the heck, um, what, what you're compulsively thinking about. But this is why CT scans are such a, an imperative diagnostic tool, because you can tell from a CT scan right off the bat, whether you're in a um, a conflict active phase, or if you're now healing, if you've resolved the conflict and now it's healing, they look different. They look different in each phase. And so um, it's very hard to get CT scans though, right. without yes. like, yeah, it is. That's, that's the part that really is, is too bad, which is why I really want to begin training with uh, reading CT scans and, and getting a CT scan, like getting a computer wow. tomography so that we can, as a, as a community, open it up and have access so easily, because this really is the only diagnostic tool that Dr. Hammer used after this. I think he did use blood tests as well, but by far the, the CT scan was, was the go-to because it, it's the, the literal proof right then that um, he could take a somebody's CT scan and know um, their hormone status and their handedness and be able to give them a complete medical history just from that amount of data. Oh, so it's incredible. Amazing. And so the part that's effect, so the part that we'll see biologically, the adaptation is associated with the part, the brain, like it's, it's associated with the embryology, is it not? Or the developing it is. and that yes. part of the brain controls that part of the body. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's the third biological law. So oh, we, yeah, okay. we can okay, we can going keep going, going down okay. that. But okay, let's go to the next one then. Okay. Okay, sure. So the second biological law is is all about the two phases that every so-called disease or special biological program runs in two phases, provided that there is a, a resolution to that conflict. So we've got that conflict active phase where your body is in that fight or flight, right? That prolonged sense of uh, sympathetic tonic state. And then afterwards, we have that healing phase. So there's two separate phases, very distinct. And in that healing phase, that's that vagatonia state where you're rest and digest now. And everything, all of the tissues that adapted to help, um, help that organ function at its best, well, now the reverse happens. And so if it was, if it was cell proliferation, like in Dr. Hammer's case, to in, increase the, the testosterone and the ability for him to uh, conceive another child, well, then that all of those, that tumor growth is now going to be decomposed in the healing phase. And so this is where bacteria comes in. It's, uh, that's the fourth biological law. So we'll, we'll speak on that a little bit down the road, but yes, it's, it's those two phases, so very distinct. Um, and again, we can tell when we're in the conflict active phase by just being very aware of our of our nervous system. So that's these are really, really key factors we wanna get into. Also, another good indication right off the bat is if you have cold hands and cold feet, this is called the cold phase, that first phase where, you know, because your blood vessels are constricted, your, your limbs, your extremities are gonna be quite cold. And so when shaking someone's hand right away, you can identify, you know, what, what is their nervous system? What, what state are they in right now? As you people move, have cold hands and feet though, for years and years and years, like that's just their, you think that's just their way. So, have well, they, like, so what does that mean? Well, it depends. It depends on, you know, if someone, if we're talking day in and day out stress, and a lot of people are more sympathetic, 
that's that's the state they usually live in well then yeah they could have cold hands and feet all the time it doesn't necessarily mean that they're in a conflict active phase that entire time so yeah there's a little bit of a different like a distinction there but um it's just getting to know your your nervous system how you know what upsets you what gets you really into this this phase where you're you're losing sleep you're not eating you're compulsively thinking about something and and uh, are very stressed, not just day in and day out, but just there's something happened. You've just gone through something and you need to address it. And that second phase, as you move into that second phase, there's a turning point of that phase, that in-between phase, and that's the resolution. So somewhere down the line, Dr. Hammer, he he's resolved that conflict of that profound loss. Um, you know, he, he had to come into, um, not ex well like on a level of, of acceptance like this is this is what happened and and now his mind was wrapped up in this these discoveries and trying to get these discoveries into mainstream and so he was dealing with this and in so dealing with that he brought himself into a resolution phase into this healing phase and so those extra tissues were decomposed with the help of tubercular bacteria and this is where symptoms come in strong so there's night sweats there's, um, this is when you have pain and inflammation. There's, you know, all the quote unquote illnesses and sicknesses and diseases. This is where, this is the phase that they, they come into. And, and so really it's our bodies. Doctor, right. Cause it's the scary part. Exactly. People go to the doctor and then that, and what do they do? They stifle it all. Right. Without knowing their bodies naturally moved right. into that restoration process. So it is, yeah, we, we interrupt our healing phases all the time. This is what we're kind of conditioned and uh, that's just the whole narrative. Yeah. Right, right, right. And uh, what was I gonna say? But the healing part can be dangerous, can it not? It can induce some pretty serious complications with that mm -hmm. inflammation. And and so there are there, uh, like if you are, no, if you're in the know of what's going on, are there, protective measures that you can take to make sure that it doesn't because it can be very painful it can be very dangerous it can do some pretty severe mm -hmm. symptoms so is there do you like is is part of the awareness of germany medicine to help mitigate the severity of that well yeah the the knowledge itself if you know that you've been in a conflict um and your conflict active phase currently you know you've just gone through something this is where radical responsibility comes into play because you know that your healing phase is going to be very proportionate in duration and intensity as your conflict active phase. And so if you are like conflict active for a few months and it's like constant conflict activity in day in and day out, you can expect a very, you know, prolonged healing phase. And so symptoms will be severe and, and it can be scary. So just the knowledge is what Dr. Hammer called really the therapy in itself, because you it's your responsibility now. If you cannot resolve this conflict, it is your responsibility to downgrade it, to start finding a way to reframe how you're seeing it, to start seeing how you can kind of move yourself from being in this really heightened state of panic into a more like, there's going to be ways we can we can ask people for help. There's There's ways we can, if we can't resolve it, we can downgrade it. 
And then so moving into that, symptoms, yes, can be super scary. But again, when you know this, um, the fear is removed from the equation. And that is a huge, huge thing. When you have fear around symptoms, it uh, exasperates everything. Totally. So um, on a symptomatic level, you can, you can use the therapies that don't interrupt, ideally wouldn't interrupt the healing phase. So you don't want to be using stimulants, but ice packs are like a necessity. So we have ice packs in our freezer um, and those are non-negotiables. Like if you have a headache or if you've got symptoms, you got to get ice pack on your brain because there's swelling at the level of the brain. So healing happens in a fluid environment. And so there's a it's an edema, it's a water edema on the level of the organ that's being restored, but also at the level and the area in the brain where that hammer focuses, there's a pocket of water on that area as well as a protective mechanism while it's undergoing those tissue changes as well. And so that pocket of water, if it was a severe conflict, it can be quite, quite large and it causes um, a lot of headaches, a lot of severe um, symptoms uncomfortable symptoms as well so yeah if if you can use um any sort of therapy that you feel comfortable using that ideally wouldn't interrupt the healing phase like you know antibacterial or antibiotics something like that that actually takes away the bacteria because the bacteria is actually there to restore the tissues um, and get rid of the tissues that don't no longer need to be there um, but in Dr. Hammer's, like from what I've read from him and his students, is 90, about 94% of the cases in any sort of disease, we're talking cancers, uh, leukemia, all across the board, 94%, you, you don't need any intervention whatsoever. Okay. It's only on a, you know, it's very case by case basis, whether you've got several conflicts running at one time and have gone into the healing phase. And um, when things become really severe is when we have the kidney collected tubule program running where it's water retention. And so the swelling in the healing phase becomes way, way more um, intense. This is, can cause um, some severe complications that may need intervention. But for the majority of Dr. Hammer's cases, and he's had over 40,000 case studies, 94% um, of those needed no medical intervention whatsoever. Right. He died recently, yes? 2017. Okay. Yeah. And and just a side note, he wasn't, how well was this received into the world of mm. pharma and medicine and, and what, what, and then we'll go back to the laws, but just quickly, yeah. what, what do you have to say around that? Oh, his discoveries and getting them yeah. to be mainstream. Yeah, they weren't well accepted at all, as you as you would understand why, Sasha. It's, he was um, imprisoned twice. He was exiled he was basically on the run ever since 2000 or 2000, ever since 19, like the end of late 1980s, he was being ridiculed. His life had, he had major life attempts, you know, um, it was just hor horrific. He, he had his uh, medical license stripped and his practice closed down and it was very, very tough. And, you know, although he had some formal validations with his work from medical professionals and institutions, they were never recognized formally at the government level where it could be introduced into the universities. And, and we know why, like it literally all of the medications, like probably 95% of what we get prescribed would be 
would have no longer use for. So it, it would literally change the medical narrative, the medical industry and complex altogether. Yes. So yeah, they're, the, the laws were suppressed and they still really are suppressed. They're very, very protected. Okay, thank you. Okay, and so number three, that was the, the first two, correct? Yeah, yep, first two. Number three. So number three is all about, like you were saying, embryology. So it's the science of embryology. And, um, you know, about two weeks after conception, the embryo breaks up into blastocysts, okay? And this is where three embryonic germ layers are formed. And this is basically within these three germ layers, they form the entire complete human body. So including all the organs and tissues and cells. And so they're divided into the the oldest tissue group, which is the endoderm, which is controlled from the brainstem. So all of these tissue groups have a very specific brain control relay. And this is the cool science of it. Um, so the oldest tissue group is controlled from the oldest part of the brain, which is the brainstem. Then there's a middle tissue group that was formed next. It's the mesodermal. So there's an old mesodermal tissue group and a new mesodermal tissue group. And these are formed from the, the tissue or the brain relay, the cerebellum and the cerebral medulla. And then there's the youngest tissue group, which is the ectoderm. And it's controlled from the youngest part of the brain, the cerebral cortex. And so this is, it's all, this is the cool thing about the, the science of the embryology is you, Dr. Hammer, he actually, I have this book here. This is the scientific chart of German in medicine. Ah. And you can see these three colors. These are the three, they indicate the three germ layers. So, you know, this is the yellow group. He differentiated. It was the endoderms, the oldest germ tissues, and they're all controlled from the brainstem. This is the mesodermal group, the orange group. And the red group is the cerebral cortex group. And so all you have to do is you could look up um, the area of the brain and that that's where the hammer focus would show up for someone that um, had experienced a, a conflict that affected the, the uh, ectodermal tissue. So it's, it's all laid out in these color differentiations, which helped me learn this material because for me, this the third biological law was by far the most confusing. Um, but the, the colors helped. And so when you, when you kind of get to study, you know, which part of the brain is controlled from, you know, which organs fit into which, which group, is it the yellow group? And if it's the yellow group, then you know, it's the brainstem. And if it's the brainstem, you know, how these organs are going to, these tissues are going to be affected biologically. There's always going to be cell proliferation in these tissues, in all of these tissues, oh, all of them, oh, in, in all of the yellow tissues. And if we're talking about the orange tissue group and the red tissue group, there's always going to be cell ulceration. So tissue loss during the conflict active phase. So our tissues, they uh, behave differently based on what tissue group they're from. Mm. So that's that's the third biological law. The fourth biological law is is all about, you know, the beautiful microbes, you know, the our system of microbes and how, you know, lately and what we had just gone through over the last three, three years, um, you know, you could see this all playing out and it was all a very sad narrative, but all of those beautiful bacteria that are seen as invaders and dangerous to our bodies that attack our own cells. Well, I think nature has it figured out and nature would never, never attack itself. And so it's the understanding that 
the bacteria, whether it's fungi, whether it's tubercular bacteria, whether it's um, viruses, even if we, Dr. Hammer still didn't know whether they existed. He, I don't think he could, did. yeah, he could never, up to all of his studies, never prove They've that. They've never been proven. It was actually right. proven in a court of law in Germany that measles is not caused by a so-called, I, I'm going to, this, this podcast is going to get censored off YouTube, but whatever, <laughs> picking them off one by one. But we know that, right? It's already been proven in a court of law. And then by extension, because every other disease that's been, you know, they, they, they use the same data to support it. So measles was yes. to not be ever proven to be caused by that. So that means everything it, It's yeah. Yes. And, yeah, exactly. And Dr. Hammer did say if they did exist, they would serve a very important role, just like all the bacteria. They right. they would not be there to attack us and to, you know, to be killing our own cells within our body. So they actually are, you can look at bacteria all along the line, all across the line as nature's cleanup crew. That's really what they are. They are like the, you know, the firefighters at the scene of a fire you know, conventional medicine really deems bacteria as the culprits and the cause of a lot of so-called diseases and infections, but that would be like saying the firefighters cause the fire. They're there to clean up the mess. They're there to help restore the damage, right? Well, that's what bacteria is. Yes. Yes. So what do you say to someone that has a raging infection and then they take antibiotic and it's painful and it's sore and it looked like, like they've got a big red line coming up from a cut and, and then they take antibiotics and it goes away and they're a lot better. Like, yeah. What do you say to something like that? Yeah. Well, it does. It, the antibiotics will stop the symptoms because it's literally getting rid of the bacteria. Now the bacteria will produce those symptoms because if you, yeah, if you think of just a cut, how it, the cut naturally heals itself is there's going to be redness and puffiness, inflammation, pain. Well, that's the work of bacteria. That is, you can literally see, you can't see them if you, obviously not with your naked eye, but you can see it going to work. It's producing the, the symptoms that heal and restore the tissue. So when you take an antibiotic, you're actually taking out what is is causing the healing itself. So the symptoms go away and when they get off the back or get off the medication, typically it starts up again. The symptoms come back because the healing process wasn't wasn't completed. So yes, people if they they want immediate they want immediate relief. It's painful, have an infection, you know, quote unquote infection, it's it's painful and and no one likes it. And so they'll take a back, take a antibacterial or antibiotic and they get that immediate relief, but what they're not understanding is they've literally interrupted that natural process. And so when they're, they go off of it, it has to finish. It has to complete itself. Um, uh, gee, I was going to say, so, oh yeah, there is one thing. Sometimes if you have a really, really intense healing phase and you've, you know, it's, you've got infection and it's, it's bad. I say infection, but because this is the terminology that, you know, conventionally we know, but infection is seen as we have to see it as something different. we have to see it as the natural healing process. If someone is going through a really, really severe healing process and the quote unquote infection is unbearable, you can take antibiotics for momentary relief 
to give you that relief so you can manage through the process, but never use it as a long-term thing. Like if you need relief, you absolutely need relief slow, to slow down that microbacterial activity to help you just get the symptoms a little bit more manageable for a time being, then if you choose to do that, that's fine. But understand your understand what you're doing and, and why the symptoms are going away and realize that it'll still need to re, it'll still need to complete the healing phase. So you're going to have to deal with the symptoms regardless. But knowing that those symptoms are healing, you're, you're already well on your way to healing. It's, it's completing the process. So what if you use, for example, colloidal silver, colloidal copper, ozonated olive oil on something on the surface and it, it like, is that also disrupting the healing? Because I, I feel that there's a different frequency with that. Like, is that going to disrupt the healing? Is that going to cause a problem? Because I've used that many times to keep something mm-hmm. quote unquote clean so that, and then it heals just fine. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say? Yeah, I think, I think you're right with the frequency. It is, it, it is all frequency. And so it does make a difference. Colloidal silver, I've used in the mouth when, if we have sores or something, just because if it hurts so bad and you are kind of away sloughing off some of the bacteria, but it's, it's not a chemical, right? It's so in a way you, you are interrupting a little bit of the healing phase, but it's, it's not taking a chemical and you, you understand that there's a process, there's a natural healing process going on. And so, yeah, I think it has to do with the frequency of the colloidal silver and the olive oil. If, if therapy makes it more bearable, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. This is, this is how I look at it is if, you know, you want to use essential oils, if you want to use homeopathy, if you want to use Bach remedy, what is that doing to the psyche? Is that bringing you some sort of relief? Well, then it's, it's okay. And I guess a lot of the times, if we're talking medically and using antibiotics, for a lot of people that is emotionally bringing them relief. And, and that's why it helps so well too. So we have, to, we have to look at it, not just on the level of the symptom, but on the level of the whole, the psyche, the brain and the organ. And because a, a conflict begins at the level of the psyche, because it's a split second perceived subconscious perception, well, that's where it all begins. So it has to end at that level too. That's where it has to come into a resolution. And so for some people taking a medication, that is the resolution because that's the only narrative they know. That's the only um, paradigm they're aware of. So I, at, you know, I have a lot of compassion for people who, who feel like they need these things. They need the antibiotics and stuff because that, that's their paradigm. And that's what creates a resolution in their minds at the level of the psyche. So it's just helping people understand it's a new paradigm of thinking. And if you understand that bacteria is actually a very meaningful uh, friend um, and it serves a very important role, then you you begin to not see the need for those anymore. You you just it changes your it completely changes your paradigm. Right. Okay. So that was going to be a question that I had for in later, like using homeopathy, using like flower remedies, using whatever, is that going to suppress the emotional healing? Because it'll help the psyche in that moment with that actual thing. But what it, like the real resolution, is it not to do with resolving what caused it in the first place, the actual shock? 
the conflict shop from the beginning. Like, mm -hmm. like so there's the, the resolution of, okay, oh my God, I'm scared. Like this, it's freaking me out right now because my body's going through this. But then there's also the resolution of the conflict shock that happened that caused it all in the first place. And it's, so it's not interrupting. They can all be done at once kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like it, it does. It, it, it requires a resolution. Requires a level of the a biological solution, right? Um, a lot of times we're unable to make biological solutions. We're, we're like Dr. Hammer. He, he wasn't going to have another child, so there had to be some right. way this could become resolved. Um, for him, it was a matter of getting involved in this groundbreaking research, right? He, his mind was all over it. Um, yeah but it brought some relief to the level of the subconscious, the psyche. So if, if someone wants to use Bach remedies to bring relief to the subconscious mind, that's yeah. wonderful because it, it helps you look at the situation differently because often it's, it's how we perceived it in the first place that makes it a problem, right? It, it wouldn't have been a conflict if we didn't perceive it as a conflict. So if we can change and reframe how we see it, then, um, it's no longer, it, it can become, it can come into a resolution a lot easier. So some of those therapies are very useful in that way. So what about candida? That's a big itchy for a lot of people. What is that? Is that coming in to clean up? Because a lot of people have yeah. chronic candida or a single mm -hmm. hormonal association. So since we're on the microbe thing, yeah, what, how candida is the healing phase. Yeah. It, but if whenever it's you have all the time or cyclical, what does that yes. mean? Yes. It means that the it's hanging healing. It's what Dr. Hammer called hanging healing. So the resolution, it never really came to a complete resolution. And now there's tracks that were established by the subconscious mind as warning signals. So at the moment you have the split second subconscious shock, right? Your mind becomes the subconscious mind is highly aware. It's just this heightened awareness. And so all the senses become acutely aware. And so the things that you would never perceive consciously, like the mold in a room or something, your subconscious mind is picking up everything, literally everything at that moment, because it's it's like a protective mechanism, right? That's all, that's what nature is. And so at that moment, all of these things that are recorded as significant in your environment will be stored at the level of the subconscious as tracks. And so when you come into um, tr a track, let's say you you walk into a room and it's it has mold, you're not consciously aware of the high level of mold in it, the mold spores. But if your subconscious picks that up, that's that's a track. That's that's mm. the thing that says, hey, look, last time you were you were around this heightened level of mold spores, this is what happened. And so it sets your, your body back into a very quick relapse of a conflict activity, the whole phase, the two phases. So conflict activity, and then a conflict healing phase. And anytime we get into that healing phase, we've got that bacteria ramping up, cleaning up, getting in. And so a lot of for candida in the, you know, in the intestines, this is the intestines have to do with the indigestible morsel conflict. So can't digest something, can't stomach a situation, just you can't accept something. And so if this is reoccurring and this because due to tracks or the, the conflict hasn't been completely resolved because maybe it's to do with your work and you're working every, you know, five days a week. Well, this is just an ongoing 
track, right? You're never ever resolving the main conflict. And so you have chronic candidas. And so it's just constant repair phase, repair phase, because you're going in and out of conflict activity and healing. Hang and healing is what Dr. Hammer called it. Hmm. So you take yeah. a and, and you change your lifestyle, for example, because sometimes it feels like you do something and it works and it makes it go and it goes away. But I don't think, but maybe there isn't any other conscious resolution in any other level. Because sometimes I take things, they got long stuff going on. I have a long story actually, uh, but there's say, and then, you know, take some mullen and that, that symptom is gone. And it's like, okay, it's good. It didn't take like, but, but I know the lungs have to do with a, a death, right? I think, right. A death, right. Conflict. But so we don't have to get into that right. But, but sometimes it's like, oh, okay. I took my tincture and it's good. And now there was no other resolution that was worked on. Mm. Does that get like, because I always tell people there's more than one way to heal. Like I feel like, but 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 if there's no work done, how does that resolve the conflict if the if the symptoms are gone? Well, it's it's all on the the level of the psyche, right? So in, in some way that is bringing resolve to to the other level of the psyche. Now, changing the way we we perceive something that's that causes a resolution right then and there and it doesn't even have to be a conscious resolution it usually our resolutions are unconscious they happen without us even knowing like you say we 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 shift something in our life we shift the way we think about something and and that causes a resolution um so you know that that plays a role in it we have to again look at the individual as the three components we can't look at one part of it and not include the right. other parts Okay. 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 So that's the microbes. And that's a big one. I mean, that we could go on forever and ever and ever, but okay. So we'll just get the law done. Okay. So now number five. Yeah. And so number five is, is all about, you know, the reiteration that, you know, um, nothing in nature is diseased. So every so-called disease is just part of a, a beautiful biological program created by nature to assist you in coping with the, the conflict. So it's it's all for your survival. And, and really the fifth biological law is the quintessence of GNM. It's if you know, if, if there's any law you should know, well, I, I, I they're not one more important than the other, but if you know the quintessence that every so-called disease, every symptom, no matter what it is, even psychosis, it's all part of a a special program of nature that is designed literally to help you cope and survive because nature is all about survival, about procreation, about thrival. Okay. Okay. So that's okay. So my question now is at what point, cause you could turn around, I could poison your drink and you won't know anything and you'll drink it and you could get really sick and die or not die, but just get really sick. Like at what point does poisoning in the environment, really mm. bad dietary habits, really bad, like, like there's the poison, there's the new nutrient deficiencies. Like does the nutrient lack of nutrients affect the capacity to heal in that healing phase? At what point does modern life, cause we are sicker now than ever before. No question about it. Like people are mm -hmm. just sick on all, like you just see them, like even the way they people walk, like the way they, like everything is just affected in my opinion. And, 
So at what point does fluoride in the water matter? Or like, doesn't it? Like we could poison someone and make them sick. We could, mm -hmm. you know, we could take a very important nutrient out of their body and make them sick. So at what point is it the conflict or is there? And at what point is modern life and all the poison and lack of nutrients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so these laws of nature, they, if for poison, for injury, for severe malnutrition, it doesn't, symptoms, it doesn't require you to have a DHS. If you're poisoned, yes, you're going to have symptoms. You're going to have adaptations within the body. And that doesn't require a conflict shock. So we have to understand that, yes, being poisoned, having severe malnutrition, or being physically injured, they are outside of the scope of these laws. So they do not require a DHS. Right. Um, so poisons do play a role. They, they interrupt the beautiful biology, the mechanisms that nature has endowed in us. So yes, there's, there's a certain amount of poison that we can like endure. Our bodies are very, you know, they, they can endure a lot, as you know. And so there are a certain amount of poison that anybody and poison, they could, I mean, you could have too much water and that could be considered a poison. It's literally too much of anything can start um, really interfering with our biological processes. So it's just a matter of not being fearful of them because we're, we're exposed to poisons and, and EMFs, like literally, like you said, are our life right now, we're surrounded by poisons. It's it's in all of the foods if it's not organic and it's it's just everywhere. So the thing is, take the fear out because our bodies can endure so much. So yes, we if we're nutrition, um, a little bit uh, nutrition deficient, well, that's not gonna cause disease, but it's gonna cause some, it could cause some symptoms. So we have to learn to trust that we're not looking for things outside of us to worry about. We actually want to be in our inner world and, and really identify what triggers us, what makes us, um, you know, our, our blood pressure increase. What are the things that have our mind occupied and are stealing our peace? These are the things we want to be concerned with, not outside poisons, not looking to, you know, do everything the right way and to be the most clean eater because that can be the thing that's stealing your peace Very. and causing causing all these conflicts as well. So it's it's finding it's finding a balance, knowing that you can trust your body. Your body has everything it needs, no matter if there's poisons in the food you eat. No one is eating that amount of food poisons in our food where where we we need to be worried. Honestly, we're not. If that was the case, a lot of us would be passing away. Um, because of the amount of toxins in our food right now. But they are so, sick. People are sick, right? And they put themselves there. When you go to a hospital, which I hope to never walk into one ever again, but you look at the people, you just look at the state of the people, they put themselves there. Most people, not everyone, of course, but most people through their habits have put themselves there. They cannot get to that shape or, you know, they're sitting there, with their their pole and their whatever they're attached to smoking outside you know it's it i feel like they put them but there's probably a lot of other things that led to them having their habits too right like it like you mm -hmm. said you can't you can't you can't divide it all because it's such a big thing there's a lot mm -hmm. of self 
loathing out there and self-sabotage as well. So it's just, I just wonder at what point, like, I feel like for some people say that, you know, debt is not the food, is not the food. And, and I get that. I certainly choose to, to make, eat food from farmers that actually care about me and care about, you know, just the, because I think it just supports everything. It's win-win for all. But at what point, I don't know. I just feel like it's like, what, how does GNM explain the level of increase of sickness in the population these days? Yeah, well, just think of what we're going through right now. Think of the the level of propaganda. Think of the the scope of the narratives that we're listening to and exposed to on a daily basis. They've never been this this prolific in history. And and now we have every every person and their dog has a phone that they can be exposed to at every given moment. Um headlines and and horrific stories. So we've never been exposed to the amount of conflicts that, that we have in the past. So we have to start correlating the emotional components, start making those correlations that we, we're just having way more conflicts than we used to have. Think of back when um, people used to live in tribes and in small communities. It, you worked together as a tribe. You always there was a safe place for everybody. There was a place that everyone got to speak up. There was a place that um, you felt comfortable and confident. You you had a role. You were never outed unless you know it. It was a huge deal if if you if you were a danger and a threat to your tribe. That was the only reason you were outed. Otherwise, you belonged. Now we're all on our own. We. You know, women are are encouraged to like go out and and you know be that boss woman and and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's no like it's just it's all the messaging, it's all the conditioning that we are being bombarded with. The societal framework that we live in is is completely opposite to how we are to how nature is in, basically endowed in us in the workings of living bio, biologically. So the height and the increase of sickness, so-called sickness and disease, is due to our, our modern way of living. It's everything opposite than what it biologically should be. Right. And I can see that actually causing problems in young children just because, you know, the, the, the nuclear family is like not even just the nuclear family. I mean, of course, there was that, that extension of that when we did live more in a tribal setting and a bigger community setting. But then there's also just the fact that mom's not at home, you know, feeding you something when you get home and, and being there if you had something to deal with. And, you know, even that, that basic support and that, because my mom, when I was young, my mom was at home. She stayed mm -hmm. home once us kids were born. And I didn't realize it then, but I know now how safe that made me feel. Like I'd come home, there'd be food. She was there. She could take care of me. And that gives you this unconscious knowing that everything's going to be okay because I'm going to go home and my mom's going to be there to take care of me Absolutely. if I need it, right? So there's that yes. big But how do you explain a very young child and their illness? Is there something that happened in the womb? Is there something like, what is with that? Like there's young kids, there's kids that aren't forming properly in the womb or there's there's babies that are ill. There's And let's take out the the the, the these things that they're sticking in their arms and that's I mean there's some direct poisoning if there's ever been any right so let's like removing that out of there how do you explain childhood cancers how do you explain in the young young ones that really haven't had much of a life experience mm -hmm. how does German new medicine apply there 
Well, because everything, there, there's, everyone has a psyche, even an embryo. There is a subconscious. There is that energetic field of awareness. And, and that's all it requires in order to, to perceive the world around them. So an embryo, a fetus within a womb can experience um, a severe, if, if the mom is going through something severe or loud deafening noises around the womb, um, you know, anything that's going on in the external, that fetus absolutely can pick it up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's typically what happens if, if a baby is born with with um, something or um, young children as infants, they can, they can definitely have DHSs in the same way that a fetus would. It's, it's the experiencing on the level of those three of the organ brain and the, the psyche. It's all impacting and it, it impacts a child, an adult, an animal in the same way across the board because it's nature. Right, okay. Okay. So it just applies no matter what, basically it applies. The, laws the laws. So, okay. Let me just, I got to sift through my questions here. Cause I've got a lot of, uh, okay. So what are the, what is the definition of a symptom of GNM? Because say somebody has a tumor that to me is a symptom, but it's not like, is that, that, but that's not really, that's say the result of the conflict. But the symptom, I think, to me, I understand is is the dissolution, like say they're getting rid of blood and pus and whatever else, black stuff they're coughing up out of their lungs or something. That is more what referred, like what what is the definition of a symptom in GNM as opposed to something that's just kind of just sitting there? Is there there a distinction made with that? How do you... I don't don't really know if there's a distinction. I mean, a, a symptom, we just look at differently in a different context than a conventional, you know, narrative of a symptom. So symptom as dysfunction, malfunction, something not right, something gone wrong. Well, in German new medicine terms, it's a symptom is a biological process. It's a, it's a logical adaptation um, causing, causing a symptom. So I think a symptom is a symptom regardless. It's just, how are we looking at it? From what, from what lens are we seeing this? From what paradigm are we looking at that? Maybe that didn't answer your question. And maybe the tumor I didn't isn't looked at as a symptom, right? It's more the symptoms are arising when that's being dissolved. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, as it's being dissolved, then that will produce symptoms like discharge and pain and swelling and yeah. and absolutely coughing up if it's in the lungs. Right. Okay. So uh, that oh my goodness, I have so many questions all over the. Oh, so. One of my biggest, well, my biggest area of focus, well, that's not true. I have a few areas of focus. I'm really, say from more the physical perspective in the body, my biggest focus is minerals. So say somebody's mineral deficient, like, and I think that's one of our big deficiencies because the glyphosate they're spraying everywhere is chelating minerals, killing the microbes, doing all these things. So if from a GNN perspective, will the capacity to heal fully be hindered by the lack of those minerals? Yeah, you know, to a certain extent it will, because that's, you know, that's kind of how, as we were talking about before, how it begins to hinder the biological processes is is the poisons and the lack of minerals. Um, Yeah, it does, it does cause some disruptions. When, when we do eat healthy and we, we decide to eat clean and we decide to, you know, just treat our bodies with respect, we're doing so because it gives our body the energy and the vitality it needs 
when it comes time to have these biological processes uh, happening. And so when, when we lack a certain amount of minerals, just probably because of our diet, then yeah, it, it can interfere and play a role in that. Right, right, okay. I just wanna share a quick little thing that I had happened not too long ago. And I think your brother was supposed to be down because I met him at a, a product training dinner thing a while ago. And then he was supposed to come to this other one, but it snowed that day. So I'm driving home that night here in Calgary. The roads were terrible because it was really slippery underneath. And I drive home and between me getting home, that where I started and getting home, there was first of all, there's blocking because there's an accident, but then there's another one. Like it was just like, I just wanted to get home. There's another car that's facing the wrong way in the opposing lane and they had to turn around. But then as I'm coming around the corner of this one major road, this car just went smash into this barrier and sparks flew in this big, I was like, what the heck is going on? I couldn't really see it because there's a car right in between us blocking it, but I could see the sparks fly and I could heard the crash. It was just like shocking. And so I get home, it's like, oh, just get me home already. Like, this is ridiculous. And it just, it just felt really weird that night. So the next day I'm, I'm, I'm going along my day and all of a sudden I feel my lungs and I'm like, oh, and I just recently known that, that the whole death right thing with the lungs. It's like, oh, that's it. Because normally I'd grab for, I'd go for my hurts. I'd go for my things, right? I'm like, oh, wait a second. What, what death right caught? I'm like, oh, and I thought about, yeah, the day before. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And I just started talking to myself. I'm like, snow's gone. You're totally safe. You're, you're mm. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no, there's no danger here. It's all gone. No problem. And I just, and literally two minutes later, it just totally went away, never came back. See, Sasha, that is it. That That's the quintessence right there, is, is the knowledge of that, being able to make the emotional correlation with what you went through. Like, it's it's amazing. And that is the responsibility that you that you got to step into. That's the role that we're actually all called to do. And that's health freedom. You, you don't, even if you didn't have your herbs, Right. Like they they weren't the solution. They weren't going to. I didn't take them. I didn't. Right. The solution was at the level of the psyche. Right. So it's it's having that correlation. And I have I love that example. I have so many of those too with just within our own family. Of as soon as you bring that to your conscious awareness and you just make that correlation, the symptoms are done. Like they just they fade away because it's just like, oh, it's just amazing. It's so free freeing. It is. It is. But now I have a question. Okay. So is there room for traditional Chinese medicine in this Ayurvedic medicine in this biofield tuning in this, right? Like where are these long held traditions, like the biofield tuning is more new, but the long held traditions of Ayurveda, the oldest medicine on the planet, Chinese. Medicine. So from a Chinese medicine perspective in the five element theory of Chinese medicine, the fall is lung season. And it's the organ that's basically on the clock for that season kind of thing. So it's the one, and this is where we see all these lung issues come up. So more often, more frequently. So how do we, I'm, I'm trying to align, you know, the energy body with traditional medicine, mm -hmm. with German new medicine, with, I'm just trying to see how do all these pieces of the puzzle, with tissue thoughts is another really big thing that I love. Like, how do these all work together? And is there space for that in Germany medicine? 
Well, I think if you were to ask Dr. Hammer, he would say no, because he was all about the biology. Like these were biological findings and biology is already set up and it's always your body's working to already take care of the biological solution. And so his his answer was resolve the conflict. Like if you if you, it's a separation conflict and your spouse and you can't live together, why are you staying together? You you have to separate and and resolve the conflict. But for me, I like I have I'm a certified emotion co practitioner and I use it alongside this because it it goes it, everything is energy, right? And if emotions are so correlated into this, which they are. Well, then how can I use that to help, you know, distill that energy just to, to give a, a relief on the level of the psyche, right? And so I feel like there are, there are those modalities that are very helpful. Sometimes, um, you know, there are situations where you don't want to be messing with certain long-held conflicts. For example, if we're talking about the coronary arteries or the coronary veins, and you're dealing with like a conflict mass of years, you don't wanna be doing anything to resolve that. Otherwise it's gonna be a fatal heart attack. So there's, there's thing, this is where you really have to know when is therapy a good idea and when should you just allow them to be and be happy with that. Um, but as far as like these old traditions, these held traditions, I like to think of it as like, think of it, it's all consciousness anyway, we all share this, this consciousness. And so if these long held medicine traditions are widely known within us, within a population, so a, a field of consciousness, and fall is the lung season, well, that just opens us up to experiencing conflicts associated in the same manner as as everybody else would we this is what collective um shocks are collective when you have epidemics you know so-called epidemics or a whole school right. like my childhood or my children's high school had like a whole um they said a mini epidemic but I, that's a story we can get into later but it's all within this consciousness all dealing with a certain amount of like the a similar conflict scenario, but perceiving it in very similar ways because of similar conditioning, similar indoctrination, similar similar beliefs, similar values, and so we we oftentimes will get similar symptoms because of that. Mm -hmm. And so, what about say seasonal allergies every spring? Is that a track? It's what, a like, track. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if someone has seasonal allergies and, and it only comes up in the springtime when the pollen count is high, then you know without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, that they would have experienced a DHS, a conflict shock, when the pollen count was high, when the sun was, you know, was around this temperature and this grass was just growing and the smell was in the air, because our senses are so highly picked, you know, they're so highly acute at that at that moment in time, that split second moment. So right. yeah, they become tracks. And, but if someone brings that to their conscious awareness, um, most of the time that's all that's required and they're no longer uh, have allergies, seasonal allergies. Right. So what about, okay, allergies? Because I know you're talking about this on one of your podcasts not too long ago. You brought up peanuts, for example, the peanut allergy. And again, I know there's supposed to be a conflict associated with peanuts involved, but there's so many peanut allergies. There's so many 
like when we were growing, when I was growing up, nobody was allergic. Everybody had peanut butter sandwiches. That wasn't a problem. There wasn't these nut allergies, these peanut allergies. How could everybody be having these conflicts on mm-hmm. the ideas of peanuts? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. And that question comes up lost. It's, it's think of, it's not that there's any less peanut butter out there. What is the common factor? What is there more of? There's more conflict activity. That's, that's what it is that we have to look at what we're being exposed to, what our children are being exposed to that they weren't being exposed to when we were kids. You know, they don't have a phone. They didn't, we didn't have a phone in our hands, you know, growing up. Um, we just didn't, we were not exposed to the level of conflict, the opportunity to experience so many damn conflicts as we are today. And that is the difference. We were just, it's the modern life. It's this, this life that is so far from biologically aligned that we're just exposed to more opportunity for conflicts, to experience conflicts. That's the difference. There's no less peanut butter. There's no less peanut butter, but why is it all peanuts and not beef? You know, like why is it another protein containing food? Why is it peanuts? That's what I'm wondering. Why is it one specific food that seems to be more of a problem than other ones? Right. Yeah, I I don't know really. I don't know the answer to that. To that really, peanuts they have a. The, you know, there, there's a lot of mold in peanut butter and maybe the, the psyche picks that up as a, you know, a subconscious track as a danger element where beef, for example, you know, there's, it's, it's less toxic in that format, in that, in that way. So maybe that has to do with it, but I've, I've never really considered that mm. from that point of view before, Sasha. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Good. I wanted to think about that. Okay. Um, you answered that one already. Okay, what how do we do for time? Okay, we got 10 minutes left. Okay, just a couple more, and then I know we can we're gonna get into more specific things. So, you guys, if you've got questions, if you have your own particular issues, start thinking about look up Germany medicine and just look at what kind of a conflict that was, for example, like, right, like that the indigestible morsel, I think that's even the thyroid, I had another thing with my thyroid, that was a really interesting one, but I won't get into that right now, Um, but what, so another thing, so the work of Weston Price, right, you know, Weston Price and and Mm -hmm. traditions and all that, yes, so what he saw was the bone structure, the dental, like every hygiene and the capacity, the cavities, like one generation off the traditional foods, everything was falling apart. Now, do you think that's because of there was other conflicts going on? Like what's a cavity? Like that's one thing that it's I'm curious mm-hmm. about is how was a cavity helping someone? What's the biological adaptation there? And well, that switch from that generation, it happens really quickly. Is it because mm-hmm. everybody's conflicts or yeah. Well, a, a cavity belongs to the the um, mesodermal group, the new mesodermal group, and that has to do with the biological significance of that particular program is always at the end of the healing phase. So it's it's to make the bones, the tissues, the ligaments, the joints, the muscles stronger. And so the cavity, that's that's a bone. So it's to literally make it stronger. So by the end of the healing phase, by the end of that, you've gone through the two phases, you actually have a more robust tooth 
than before. So you can bite. It's all about a bite conflict, the inability to bite or not, not being able to or not being allowed to bite back. So um, Weston A. Price's um, work has to do with the foods, right? The traditional foods. But if you look at when and where he was doing his research, um, there were a lot of them was the tribes, right? The tribal groups. And so think of, think of that element. We have to take that into consideration where everybody within that tribe and that, that beautiful community had a place and they were safe to speak up if they needed to. There was always someone to go to, that, that, elder, that elder to go to and with your concerns or if you, if you had something you wanted to say, there was always a place you got to express that. But nowadays, you know, in school, our children are told to shut up, sit down, raise your hand. You can't speak. Don't speak back to the teacher. Don't speak back to your, to your friend. Don't say that. It's rude to say that. Um, you know, you know, be gentle with effort. Like all of it is this. This you cannot bite back. You cannot say what you need to say. You cannot defend yourself. You're not allowed to. Um, you you're less than your your position is meager. So don't speak up because you're not you know at that level so this is this is the component where where you you really get to see the laws play out in the bigger picture when you expand it and look at it from that perspective okay and, and it makes sense is that's the thing we just we it's just so easy to see the physical and the physical habits but we don't know what's going on we don't know how this change has been perceived by the person right so right know that and so is, is there any place where they are doing these CT scans where that is like, are there other countries where they're, they're actually adopting this and using this and, and people have access to getting their, their cranial CT scans or. No, not to my knowledge. There's not like in a, on a university setting or anything like that. Like doctors in training are not learning this. They're not, they're not learning this at all. Um, there are doctors who, who know it through you know the you know the work of Dr. Hammer and then his his students. Um, but there's it's all private now. Like uh, there's an individual in the States who you can get a hold of and um, get your CT scan read, but you first have to get a CT scan. There are countries where it's a lot easier, like the Philippines and India, where you can go in 30 bucks and an hour later, no questions asked, you have it in your hand. So just in the West, it's it's really, really difficult. But I, I really hope to have some sort of um, some sort of role in helping that become a, a very um, accessible diagnostic tool for us. That would, be, that would be amazing if you could get something like that. That would be huge. That would be We're going to require a lot of funding, but um, it's right. definitely possible. Right. For sure. Okay, so we're almost done. So how can people, so you practice GNM. So how can people find out about you? What are the services you offer? How do you work with people? Let's find mm -hmm. out that. Sure, thanks. Yeah, I don't I don't like to say I practice it. I, I consult. I'm definitely not a German new medicine practitioner. Um, I, I definitely, like, this is my jam. I, I study this and, and 
I can't get it. I can't get enough of it. And I offer consults. I offer GNM consults where, you know, if you have a question and you want to know, you want to help making that correlation, what the heck is it? What, you know, what could this be from really helping you understand what the symptoms are and, and why they're there and then helping you understand what it's going to look like, you know, throughout the healing phase. Mm. I, I offer one-on-one consults. I also have um, an online membership community called New Perspectives, and um, it's a group of us. We're still about we're about twenty five members now, and uh, we we meet twice every month, every other Monday, and we meet on Zoom just like this, and we go through our personal case studies. If we have friends and we want to know like what's going on, we just get into the science of this, and we kind of just geek out on on all this material and it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of bonuses and a lot of material involved in that membership so find out about that so you can go to tanyaverklin.ca the membership right now the enrollment is open twice per year just because when when we allow enrollment in then we're all kind of starting at the beginning and we all are on the same page and so i do that twice a year where so we just closed out our, our last enrollment and um, so we'll be opening back up again after the spring and new enrollments coming. But I take um, one-on-one consults throughout the year. Um, I have a calendar where, again, that's tanyaverkwin.ca. You can access that calendar. And I also do one-on-one coaching where it's just if, if you need the, you need the support, you need the, you know, the, the person to help you through the program if, if that's what you're working through I offer that as well and so that's more in depth and it's every week working together one-on-one right and so and that's the thing that so my husband's like so ask for how this be, this goes from something that's more interesting to useful because GNM actually doesn't provide you the tools right for the relief because a lot so my husband's a coach as well and the releasing a lot of people are holding on tight to their stuff and they mm. don't know how to, and they're like, I'm working on it, I'm working, but they've been working on it for years and years and years and years. So I guess that's where, because GNM doesn't actually provide you the tools for that. It's more the awareness, mm. but then do other people like you bring in your own tools to help with resolving mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, it's it's all about making those paradigm shifts, those, those the way we see ourselves, the, the way we perceive ourselves has to be the thing that changes. Because if someone, for example, is dealing with a chronic issue, that means they've been seeing themselves the same throughout that entire process. Nothing has switched. As soon as we can change our self-concept, everything about the past changes, the way we think about it, the way we feel about it. And that is what it takes to completely shift out of a long, a long-term ongoing chronic condition. So that's what I do with my one-on-work one in coaching is just helping you change your self-perception and figuring out because most people have a pattern they they tend to and I think you might notice this in your life but I can certainly notice this in mine where I perceive things if I do get a symptom of some sort it's always usually the same type of symptom it's always a digestive issue symptom and that means I have this theme that I typically perceive conflicts in my life as indigestible morsels right? This is how I perceive most things. So if I continue to perceive most things in this way, um, nothing really changes. But if I can change my self-concept, things begin to shift really quickly. And you begin to shift out of those chronic patterns of 
of uh, symptoms because it's all based on chronic patterns of thinking and feeling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. People are stuck in those patterns, right? So anything that we could do to get out of that. Okay. I'm going to, I know you have to go. So hold on for one sec, but guys, isn't this amazing? Like, this is what I love. The more that I delve down deep into the truth about health and wellness, we've been sold such a story about who we are, who, like what this body is, how we get sick, how we heal. And so much of that is within us. I would tell people before you get all those supplements, everything it's for number one thing. It's it's inside of here. And GNM is such an amazing tool. So check out Tanya, listen to her podcast, hook her up, hook up with her for a, a consult if you want, be a part of your group. Like there's GNM, I think we re it's it's incumbent on all of us to to spread this information, right? Because it's been suppressed for so long. It's time mm -hmm. that people know about this. And when I talk to people about this and I talk about some certain things and they got a particular situation and then I, I talk about JNM and I enlighten them, they're just invariably, they're just fascinated by the whole thing. So, yes. And there's that resource as a brilliant resource that Sasha, okay. that you can include in the show notes is okay. learninggnm.com. Right. And it's, it's, it's just incredible. You, it has an A to Z index search directory where you can type up the symptom or, I mean, look at the, the first letter of the symptom and it'll explain through these laws in very detail um, what, what the conflict theme is, what you can expect during the conflict active phase, what kind of symptoms you can expect during the healing phase and what it all kind of looks like. And that's cool because I think that'll help also allay some fears if they know, okay, this is to come. This Absolutely. This is what it look like. Right? Absolutely. Healing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Thank you, Tanya. Okay, guys, isn't this amazing? Please share. Please give me a, a you know, go, go rate me on iTunes or wherever else. And just, just share this around. We got to share this around. It's time to own our health because if we don't own our own health, somebody else will, and it's not going to be to our benefit. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and until the next one, be well. Ciao.